0: hello and welcome back to another episode of the booksmiths podcast and today is a very good day because we're starting a brand new book for the next five weeks we're going to be picking through a book called your next five moves by patrick bet david if you want to check out a little bit more of patrick's content when you get into this one just look up valutainment pretty cool um so yeah for the next five weeks we're picking through this book and for this episode episode one we're joined by cassie moise who is the head of marketing at bradley hall estate agents and cassie was an absolute pleasure to speak to she was really open and honest and Gave some great insight and stories about her own career as well, which I think I'll be really cool to hear for some of us Northeast guys. Alright, I'll stop waffling on. Hope you enjoy. Cheers.
1: Read less, get better, with the Booksmiths Podcast. Listen along as hosts Guy and Will chop up the very best boots from the worlds of sport. Business and self-development with a fresh book each month, and along with special guests, Guy and Will extract the knowledge, insight, and wisdom that you actually need. All the killer, oh, the killer without, without the, the filler. filler. Now let's get into the episode.
0: How familiar are you with this book, Cassie? Is it like, have you just read it for the purpose of this? Have you read it before? Before, um,
2: to be fair, I probably would have came across it at some point, and um, because. It's in with the type of stuff that I have been reading at the minute. Um, but obviously I've spoken a Will about it and he's he brought it up, so I ordered yeah. it to get away. And um yeah, like I say, it fits in quite well with all the other bits and bobs that I'm reading at the moment. So it was a good to be fair, it was a good read. I liked it.
0: What what else are you reading that's similar?
2: Um, so I've been reading um quite a few different marketing books, So I'm halfway through the big factory. I think I was at late as the party on that one, but that one's mm-hmm. really good. Um I've been reading books about emotional intelligence. Um I've been doing what other ones? I've been reading a couple of um one of them it's really it's a really cringe title, but it's called How to Be A badass And it's actually okay. oh it's so good. Like it fits in really well with this with move one in this book, which is obviously getting to know yourself and where you kind of fit and what you want to do with your own life. Um so yeah, it really kind of just fit in really well with everything else that I've been reading at the minute.
3: Yeah. Who's the author of that one? Cassie? I'm I'm sure I feel like I've come across it before. I've well,
2: or I can't remember, you know. Or it might have
3: been it might have been something like you are a badass. I like, have seen like I've seen it before. It's like a. I'm sure it was given to somebody, I can't remember who was, and I'd seen it, it was just like a book that the work had given them, but it was like a. was it most oh, yeah. like a sales or a, or a, I can't remember now. I'm sure it was it like a sales sales book, like to do like it was confidence or something like that. Yeah, um,
2: I mean it's really good. It really makes me think about the way that you that that you that you really think and you position yourself. Mm. Um, I'm just having a look on my YouTube now because I'll admit I've been listening to that one more than I'm reading it. Mm. Because it takes us an hour and a half to do my hair every morning. <laughs> I felt like I was listening to radio one and my brain was literally melting. So I was like, I'm gonna have to do something productive with this time. <laughs> so I've been listening to it and I've managed to get four hours in in about a week. So that shows you it's hard work being a girl.
3: I think audiobooks are, uh, are are the way forward.
2: Yeah, I, I was I was listening to them when I was walking the door. Oh it's called You Are A Us and it's by Jenchero.
3: I, I think that's the one I've got. I've got it in the house somewhere. I, I pinched it up somebody, but yeah, I, I never got around to reading it. It's
2: it's very um it's very American. But I don't know whether that's because I'm listening to it in an American voice as well. I, I found this one was really Americanized as well.
3: I was um, in some like filing fight, for a divorce, but I remember like I was mm-hmm. when you listen to it, it, it just sounds ten times more American than when you read it in your own mm-hmm. internal Jody monologue. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and when he talks about hate,
3: mm. yeah. I, like,
2: oh, I hate that phrase so much. Like I, I really, I really like the concept though. But I just hate that
0: phrase. It just makes us cringe a little bit. I totally, totally agree. Um, I did have highlighted a little section that summed up this book quite well, and I've got it here. So it's page 18 of the Roman numerals, and he talks about how um, desire can't be taught. Mm-hmm. If you prefer to avoid half work, if you feel no desire to do something important with your life, there's nothing I can do for you. This book is for people who are curious to find out what their best looks like and are looking for strategies to help them get there. You've done the same thing.
2: Exactly. Oh, Uh,
0: but then the premise of the book is the five moves, isn't it? So like it, you know, we've already kind of touched on one master, knowing yourself, the ability to reason, reason, building the right team, strategy to scale and mastering power plays. Um, You know, we're going to get into this a lot more, but for me, move one, master knowing yourself, is by miles the most important thing um, in this book. If you can't get a hold of who you are, what you want, and the question he says for, I think it's chapter two, is who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. That's the question you've got to answer. So if if you don't know who you want to be, who you want to emulate, you know, why you're doing the things you're doing. You're not you're not going to win ultimately. That's literally got to be the first step.
2: Yeah. Did you see the um, the the kind of Q&A he has in the, the bar? Yes. Getting know yourself?
0: Yeah. What did you think?
2: Ah, uh, I don't know because I felt like, and he does talk about this in the first chapter. Nine, listening to the outside voices as well a little bit and. Kind of having that little bit of self-awareness and mm-hmm. um, i think that's really important but i found the questions were a little bit insular if that makes sense
3: so, so this is his personality is it the personality identity order that you're talking about yeah. Yeah. You. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's like how do you think the world views you does it like oh, oh i don't know
0: it's tough isn't it the the, the um, tough questions um if you were going to do it you need to really sit with it for for a long time and consider the answers
3: mm-hmm. things like how is the public you different from the private you
2: yeah
3: it's an interesting one and so how does he tell us to use that then so if i give those you know how do you view yourself how how, how do i how do i how does that help me figure out who i am or?
2: i think he's i think he's trying to get the point that life and i've and i've taken this on from the other things that i've read recently like life is so busy you don't often get time to sit down and think about exactly what you want to do and who you are and what you want to be. Mm. So I think this kind of forces you to sit down for an hour or so and really think about it and get to the bottom of it. Otherwise, you would just let days, weeks, months pass you by mm. without considering it at all.
3: I, I think it's true for business as well. So it's it, this. I think what I'm always trying to do with these are applying them does it apply to you as an individual and can it apply to an organization or a group of people together? And I think it does, because it's the same, exactly what you said there, Cassie, it's the same thing. I think how many times do our businesses so busy that they don't have they're not even sure, they're not stopped to look up to see what direction they're headed or where the, you know, where the pipeline or what type of work they're getting in. They're just happy it's work sometimes. And then you, then six months down the line, you look and think, oh, we've we've picked up a pile of shite, basically. And you think, oh, that wasn't really what we wanted. yeah. If we'd had a bit more, like if we'd focused a bit more on where we were going, and we'd stop to have a look at that and make and sort of connect the dots and see what see what headed the right direction, you would have maybe took yourself in a different different direction, but
2: or a better direction, or
3: be more, yeah. Active, yeah.
2: more proactive rather than just being reactive all the time. I think hmm. you have to be proactive, don't you? Especially when it comes to knowing yourself. I think
3: that comes with, a little bit with age and experience, though, doesn't it, as well? 100 percent. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, if, if you well, I wouldn't have been doing this ten, like ten years ago, or whatever. You know, there's no way I would have been in. I wasn't, didn't, wouldn't have read books like this. Wouldn't have been remotely interested in it. Um. So I think it's, it's. I think I wrote somewhere in some of my notes in the book. It's a lot of this is to do with timing. So when you choose, when you choose to perform these exercises in your life, will dictate massively the the answers and what's going on in your life, whether you've got a family or you don't have a family, what, you know, those things that are changing constantly, whether you've just had a promotion in your career, whether, you know, whether you've just left university, um, whether you've, whether you just changed a career, the time at which you you choose to ask these questions of yourself will dictate. I think there'll be a changing answer if you did it over 10 years. I bet bet the answer would change slightly
2: all the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely would. It's crazy how much you can change within a year, I think especially the last year that we've had i think it's it's allowed people to think about these things a little bit more and to move on a little bit quicker than maybe what they were so busy like socially definitely Um, so
3: yeah
2: i think i I will do i think i'll do it would you would you guys sit down and do those questions
3: Mm -hmm. i think i think i'll try it
2: yeah i think it'll be a difficult one like, what, name a 90-day period of your career during which you were the hungriest to succeed. What drove you? I don't know if it's like a 90-day... Like, 90 days isn't that long, really. It's
3: strangely specific, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I don't think it's very specific.
3: I think, I, for, for me, just... just the, When you said that, Cassie, I was thinking... I think it was, for me, it'll have been any time before I qualified as a, as a solicitor, for example. And the reason I would have been hungry, I suspect, is because I didn't because I didn't have anything and there was no statuses. So like a practicing certificate, for example, it can be taken away if I do something monumentally stupid. But in general, once I've achieved that, it can't be taken away. So there yeah. was always there's always a hunger there. But once you reach it, there's a little bit of like, all right, I'm not sure what to do now. I was always mm. aiming towards because that was like a sort of a level you know it was like a, that was that that was the foundation from where you could build on other things mm-hmm. and I don't I, th- I presume it's I suspect it's probably the same for a lot of people but it's I feel like maybe it's slightly different for me because there is literally that line in the sand because there's all right yeah either you're qualified or you're not qualified and you you know you know Cassie working with some of the guys at Bradley Halls. probably for them it's like becoming shorter. they probably worked you know we know Laura for example you know we talked yeah. about she, doing an APC recently she probably never worked any that's probably the hardest she's worked in the last
2: oh, 10 definitely. years,
3: striving for that. Yeah. But then you kind of get there and you're okay, what what next?
2: Yeah. I say that definitely with, with the people qualifying. It's been so long since I did my degree. I can't really remember <laughs> what it was like in the run-up. Um, but I think for me, it wouldn't be a consecutive 90 days. It would be like the month before, because obviously I do the magazine. Mm-hmm. It would be the month before the magazine comes out every time. Mm. Um, because you want to get it over the line, and you want to do what's best for the advertisers, and you want to create something that people are really going to look at and be impressed with. So I suppose, I suppose that would be mine.
0: That's interesting. Is how how important do you think the fact there's a deadline on something like that um, is to to that whole incident?
2: Um well really important to be fair. I mean I, I create the deadlines on yeah. <laughs> the judge, jury, and executioner on that project. So uh, I'm the, the one-man band on that one, but um it's 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 presenting something because say you've got ten or dozen advertisers in there, their content will be based on the campaign that they're running that they want to get out by a certain date. So it's really important to do what's best for them as well as us at the time. Um, so deadlines definitely I mean but I work better on temperature in deadlines but I think a lot of people do
0: I think so what are we talking uh, about Will Parkinson's Law all the time oh yeah exactly yeah. Work well, it either expands or uh, contracts to fill the time allotted given
1: to yeah. I'll
3: I, yes. I let, I let, I let you both into a, a, a reality that uh, I only made the notes up for this book about half an hour before you recorded this purely because of Parkinson's Law because I've been threatening to do it for about a week just never been able to do it, but the minute the minute there was a deadline set, and I even knew the deadline was set, but I just kept thinking, I'll get that done in half an hour, no problem. And sure enough, I've got I've got three pages of notes here, lo- like lots of notes, more. I'm lying, it's about six or seven pages of notes. But that's I, I made the notes in the books, but I wanted to type them up and kind yeah. of put them together. And I only, as I say, I could only do it when there was a space of time, and I thought, right, it's got to be done now because it's it. a deadline. Uh, but you know, I was thinking there, just connecting those two sort of slightly disparate ideas of deadlines, and um, for me, sort of that uh, becoming qualified or something. I th- there's there's a truth in there that I think is is actually quite useful. Is that it's about it seems to be that or what we're saying there is we seem to work the hardest when there is a goal that's immediately achievable,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and we understand what it what it's going to take to get there. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's one of the key things. So I, I literally take it away now as I'm as I'm thinking about it is maybe what I need to do is set some slightly shorter term goals and say, look, this is this is what I'm looking to achieve. I know I can achieve that within the next six or twelve months and then absolutely work my arse off to get to, to make that happen. Yeah. And I think it's that that's that maybe is what, what's driving or help drive me, help me work harder.
2: Yeah. But it's interesting though, like you say, that a short-term goal between six and twelve months. Because I think a lot of people would just assume a short-term goal was what well, can I get done this week.
1: But oh, I think yeah.
2: for certain people within certain professions, especially long-term thinking is much better than sort of the short-term. Obviously, you've got loads of little things that you need to do pretty much immediately. But then your short-term goal six to twelve months, like that financial. Yeah.
3: That's probably. Are int- you right? I've, I never really noticed. But that's probably an interesting thing to think about in and of itself. You know, different people's idea of what a short and long term goal is. I, I'm. I'm definitely. I definitely subscribe to his. Uh, and we'll get on with. I suspect in a minute. His sort of. Um. You know, viewing viewing yourself five years out, and that sort of thing. Um. So for me, five years is kind of that. That's longer term, and so short terms, is is just a, a shorter chunk of that five years. What am I? what are the five steps maybe that I need to take to get to where I want to be in five years so the short term is that is, is that window and then obviously you're right though there is even the, the shorter short term literally what's happening today, tomorrow, yeah. this week, this month.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think that I'm jumping ahead a little bit, yeah but I think that's what ties in with the sort of um, the concept of being an entrepreneur rather than an entrepreneur or whatever. Yeah. You're staying in the book some people literally really just go to work Nine to five to get paid, and that, and they're perfectly happy with that. And they, I think, their short term would be a week, but if you've got a little bit more of a, that sort of um, that sort of outlook on your job, and you're a little bit more um, into it then your long, your short term goals will be longer term. I,
3: I envy those people sometimes. Um, I w- I wish honestly, it would my life would be so much easier. If I could just go to work and not be bothered about the longer term, but uh I guess just the way you're wired, isn't it? Exactly,
2: yeah. What what makes you tick? In in what way do you envy them well?
3: Because it would just be easier because it's so much, you know, we talked about this before, guy. But I, I talk about constantly sort of in a heat again, something that he comes on to about like feeling like you're failing or you know, constantly setting yourself goals that you maybe don't quite live up to or things that you want to achieve and you don't quite reach there and It's just, it's quite stressful, you know, I mean, I live with it, I'm happy with it, but it's, it's a pressure that you sort of put yourself under to to make progress all of the time. And I think if I just went to work and wasn't, you know, I've had jobs in the past where when I was at university and different things, it's quite mind numbing, but you just clock in and do your job and go home, but there's no stress or pressure related to it. And part of it sometimes envies it and thinks, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could just be like that?
0: Yeah, it well, goes back to the, the personality audit, really, and knowing who you are and what you like. I mean, the reason I, I picked up on you saying the word envy, I think you're saying it in jest, but I was going uh, to uh, put it to both of you, actually. I, and I think this is a really cool bit of insight on the first chapter as a whole. Um, question 12 of that audit is, who are you secretly envious of that no one knows about? <laughs> That really made me think this. And then um, if I just skip back, it's page. Did you tw- have someone, Guy? Uh, I'll tell you in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> page, page 26. Um, I thought this was really good. And he's actually quoting a different book, which is Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, envy is an indicator that alerts you if you're being honest with yourself. If you can look at someone who has things you don't and say, you know what, I don't really want that. Then you know you're in a good place. If you don't, if you say you don't want something and don't mean it, that envy eats away at you. What it's telling you is that you
3: do really want it, but you're afraid to work for it. I, 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 I love that. I think I think it's really it's really clever. Um, it, it made
0: me put the book down that because I I read like you you were saying before, Cassie. I read a lot of this kind of stuff about knowing yourself and you know being in touch with your goals and where you want to be and all that kind of stuff. And I, I've never really thought of. Hang on. If I'm truly jealous or envious of someone, I need to sit and have a rethink. Am I really? Am I living true to my goals? Maybe I'm not. If if I see someone down the road, and to put a material slant on it, if they're driving a nicer car than I am, and I really want that thing, am I tell You know, am I putting the work in to get that thing? Or if I don't really want the thing, I'm I'm all right at the level I am. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense?
2: Yeah, totally. Really? I oh, really think it does. I kind of, I, I did find that interesting. but I kind of already had a little bit of a grip on that, I think, mm. um, because of maybe the stuff that I've read recently, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's so true, MV is a really good indicator of what you actually want. Uh,
3: I think one one of the things for me, I think I really like that, but it also comes and hooks back to what he said. He actually says on page four, it all depends on how honestly you can answer this question. Who do you want to be? And the thing that I highlighted and flagged up and, and, you know, scribbled on loads was was the word honestly. And I think that is the key. So that Mm -hmm. triggers sometimes when, you you know, we talk about feeling envy when somebody's driving a nice car or, uh, the, the, you think that you know apparently they've made a load of money this year doing whatever job it is or, uh, or the, or I've got some friends who live abroad and I, and I, often they'll send me videos of them out playing golf on a Saturday afternoon. And the weather's looking nice and I'm thinking, sure, I wish I was working there. In in you know there's there's loads of little things where, and I don't you know I don't know to what level I'm truly envious. So it's probably a scale of like, oh that would be nice versus I'm a, it's absolutely eating the way it is like zero to hundred, but I think. When you stop and think about it, sometimes you're not being honest with yourself. So take, for example, the living and working abroad uh, one. Do I, would I really want that? I've never really thought about it, but actually, one you know if I want to have a family and things like that, I think that would be a right pain. in the arse, living abroad, away from my family, away from my support network. So yeah. do I really do I really really want that? Mm. And I think sometimes it's that that envy's a good um, it's a good flag, it's a good marker, but you've got to then really assess whether you honestly want that thing. Yeah. I don't. There's, there's guys in, we've talked before, Guy, I'm I'm interested I, in sales. I think it's a really, um, it's something that I'm kind of drawn to and I find it interesting. But we've said before, I also don't, I, I don't kind of, I, that moniker of a salesperson doesn't sit well with me. So it doesn't matter how much money make, somebody makes from being a salesman. I don't feel like I'll, that, that'll ever be something that'll sit well with us to say, all right, I'm going to pack in my legal career to become a salesperson because it's just not, it's just something that there's something there's something that's part of the job that I that I want to do that gives me some sort of comfort beyond beyond money. You know, I like yeah. I like the idea of being a having a qualification that links to me to my job and things like that. And that's so when I when I stop and think that envy's a good a good flag and a good trigger, but then I have to come circle back and be really honest about it and say, do I really want that? You're trying to say my biology degree's got nothing to do with my sales job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're you're seeing that guy. Um, <laughs> no, I, well, I th- but there is, there is that, you know. You sort of say, Well, okay, do we need you know, well, that could, that's a good example of guy if you want, you no, know, I agree, to,
1: mate.
3: I want to go on and say, Right, well, like, do I do want to do something with biology degree, maybe not. Actually, maybe I don't. I'm not, I'm not bothered about whether I use my degree. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't either weight enough. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't have, like, come into the you know,
0: last year of uni. Had to drag myself out of bed to go and sit in a lab all day i honestly i hated it i could oh, not even. have done it yeah but that's that's you know you have to go through those things of like so you know yourself ultimately
2: oh definitely i mean i quit my first degree because i hated it that much i i thought that i had to do an academic degree before i did a pr degree so mm. i was going to do english literature that's what i was good at at a level and in school so I went and i started to do that and then i changed to english and journalism and then i thought i'll do a postgrad and pr and then i was like why am i doing this like i might as well just do the pr degree and it was the stigma of not having an academic degree at the time which i mm. thought you needed but in reality it's made no difference to my life whatsoever whether i've got an academic degree or not so cool
0: no of course and where do you think that stigma came from like why why did you think oh, you needed
2: gosh, it? Oh, gosh, you sound like a therapist. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not sure. I really, really don't know. I really don't. Um, because I don't come from a particularly academic background. Like, mm. um, my mum got her degree when I was in school. Um, and she works for NHS and my dad works in the docks. So mm. it's not like I've been brought up to condition to have that. Um it was just at the time I thought that's what I wanted and obviously it wasn't. But I think it's tough when you're 18 year old to decide who you are.
0: It's it's incredibly tough. And like the, the reason I ask is because I was, you know, my, ended up in biology. I, I was almost pushed that way in, you know, by my parents, by school or whatever. Mm. And in hindsight, I had absolutely no interest. Like I did not want to do it at all, so.
2: Not even from the outset? <sighs>
0: Not really. I I like the idea of maybe going on and, you know, if I did well at the degree, I could maybe go into medicine or there might be other doors opening for us. But yeah, just it just was not my path at all. No. And it's uh, I think that's the I, it's a massive thing that has to change, really, just with, uh, you know, life and education and schooling and all kinds, how we're going to expect like 18 year olds to make decisions that all. Matter about them for the rest of their lives, I think, are
3: ludicrous to be
0: honest.
2: Crazy, when, when you think <laughs> more things like that in school, really,
3: oh, I absolutely I should think, read when, more books when, like this. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: When you think about that guy, I was just thinking there. This taps into you know, what he talks about entrepreneurs later on about if you don't have a passion, uh, to do the thing that's beyond money or it's beyond, there's got to be something else driving you. So, if you take your you know, possible medicine route, you would have the, the level of if you think about the people that go on to become. To, to to study medicine and to, to practice medicine the the passion and the drive and the, all the extra stuff that they've got to put in to get the way they want to be you have to have buckets more enthusiasm and passion and desire to do that yeah. to get anywhere near it because you're not there's there's very very few people I suspect end up end up uh, practicing medicine just on a whim you know mm-hmm. they're just they're, oh well, you know it just it felt I fell into the right job I think it's probably a small number of people. I suspect the vast majority of people have absolutely grafted their arse off, and mm-hmm. done loads of extra stuff that you could never, you know, just could never have been bothered to do or been interested in doing because it's not what you were interested in doing. Mm. It's just, it's just, and it's the same with the bit with businesses. You know what I mean? I think, or what, or whatever job you're doing, if you're not truly interested in it, you're probably not gonna, you're not gonna do what it takes, all the extra stuff,
2: no. to
3: to make progress.
2: Mm-hmm. You've
3: got to enjoy your work, don't you? Absolutely. The quote
0: I always go back to it. I'm, I'm guessing Cassie, you'll really relate to this. Is um, your work, at least to some degree, has to feel like play? Mm-hmm. It has to feel like it's not a job. because yeah, you have yeah. to go to go through the shit times. You know, you have to really
3: quite enjoy the good times.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
3: yeah, no, it's good. So I think j- just to sort of um, to sort of bring it back in, in the book we've got. Well, I move on. Master knowing yourself. In the three chapters within it you've got chapter one who do you want to be mm-hmm. chapter two study the most important product you sorry chapter two chapter three your path to creating wealth entrepreneur or entrepreneur um and it was said before was st- I think he starts that chapter one who do you want to be with it depends how honestly you can answer that question um and I was saying before I think honesty and accuracy in answering that question is probably the toughest part we' we'll all probably ask ourselves from time to time and those envy triggers do give you an indication, but how honestly we can answer that, I think, is the is the real challenge that he that that he poses. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just going through the next notes I've got on that, or you know, he has. I think that's we'll go to um page page nine, Cassie was where he mentions uh, haters. You know, use use yeah. use your haters uh to to drive <laughs> you basically.
2: Totally. Um, and I think everyone's had an experience where someone's told them that they couldn't do something and it's made them want to do it even more. Um, and listening to, to criticism and taking it on and thinking, right, okay, you know what, it is, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm. Um, and I think that part of the book could definitely resonate with a lot of people. I, I found the whole thing to be quite, um, quite easy to relate to, to be fair. Yeah. Um, and I think he's done that quite well. But um, I love the the part about um Barbara from Shark Tank. Yeah. Oh, have you seen Shark Tank? It's so good. I've um, watched it
3: occasionally.
2: She's she like looks like a really sweet like little old lady wearing tails. She's like she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. So her ex husband, is um, she'd set up a business with her ex husband, and then he left her for a secretary, and then um said that she couldn't do it without him and she um and she said what does she say again uh I would quietly say to myself you know like fuck you I'm gonna do this and I was like yes girl like <laughs> I, I, I love I that because I, I really related to it like I was um when I was in my last job someone else started the magazine um and told me I couldn't work on it because I wouldn't be any good at it <laughs> so, <laughs> so now i've got five times the readers it's more financially viable um and it's became something which i mean it's still a work in progress but it's became something that i'm actually really proud of and for me to look back it, it's someone who said, well no you you can't even write an article for it you can't even write a story for it
3: does that drive do you think that drives you like on a daily basis or is it a subconscious level or
2: yeah, uh, uh, fully conscious, like in the I front see. of my mind all the time when I'm working on it, um, and I'm always <laughs> trying to drive it forward and make it better because I was told that I wouldn't wouldn't be any good at it. So I just think that was that was my fuck you moment totally.
3: When does that when does that run out then, uh, or does it ever run out? As in, because because you've already you've already surpassed clearly surpassed what that person expected. Mm-hmm. So you so you you've already said fuck you and it's it's done, you know, but actually you're trying you're still pushing. So does it still provide you with a with a fire in your belly that you need or or is there a point at which it drops off and you think, actually, I've already proven that to you. I'm doing this for another reason now, or or are they still are you still trying to prove them even more wrong basically?
2: I think there's always other reasons, like that's not the only thing that drives yeah. and pushes us forward. Like I love Providing a service for people that that take part in the magazine and that that are partnered with us, and I like writing and I like giving people content that they're actually gonna enjoy. So that's what is my main driver, I would say. But that's always in in my head. That so when work.
3: when things get tough or whatever, you you sort of you think back to those things like, yeah. oh, actually, this person would say that I couldn't do it, and that I'd be proving them right if I didn't pull yes. my finger out and get this done now.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter what, it's always going to be more than what I started off being. Because at the at the start, it was it was more so. Um, it was it wasn't the pagination was a lot smaller. The readership and print room was a lot smaller. So I think I've I've kind of I've proved my point now. But I want to yeah. keep going with it and keep building on it all the time. But I'll always remember that. I don't think I'll ever forget it. So I'm like. But- I think he
3: he gives it. This is what I, f- I found quite interesting. The reason I was asking you about that was because he, he, Mike, there's a, he gives an example of Michael Jordan, yeah, um, in in the book, and he gives an example of of him being uh, cut from or dropped from a high school basketball team, and then when he's when Michael Jordan's inducted into the Hall of Fame many many years of the NBA many many years later, having become one of the most successful, if not the most successful, basketball team, <coughs> he, he invites uh, he invites the guy. I've got his name written down somewhere. Leroy Smith Jr. He invites Leroy Smith Jr., who took his place on the school basketball team all those years ago, to the Hall of Fame and basically makes a thing about it and says, like, I just wanted to, I wanted to, wanted you to prove to everybody or remind everybody that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, that is, it's nuts in a way because he proved that, he proved that they were wrong when he became a professional basketball player. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He, like, okay, well, he didn't get onto the, he didn't get onto the school basketball team, but he made his point by becoming a professional basketballer. Mm-hmm. But he then somehow was able to harness that and use it to to like, to take him to the very, and, and it still bothered him enough to the very, very top of his game. And you think that's, that that was what I found really interesting because I've, I've, you know, I've, you say before, you can, it can resonate with you. Um, but on a smaller level, but this stuff, I can't, I can't match those dots. I can't sort of say, it could drive us to, I don't know, get to a qualification level or to do something because somebody might say they didn't think you could. But then to use that once you've already proven them wrong to a degree, to use that to keep going is it's it takes something else I think it's really difficult.
2: I just think there's no limitation on proving some, someone wrong. I think you can get at the point where you get that, you get your qualification, but then you just want to keep going and you just want to keep getting better yeah. and then. And you know, like the person that I'm talking about, like I still speak I still speak to him, I yeah. still, still respect him, but um like I'll, I'll always keep going, and I'll always keep trying to, trying to get better and trying to prove them wrong in a bigger way.
3: Mm. The, the other thing this reminded me of, guy, was um, was you know when we talked about when we talk about legacy, mm. and there was that uh, there was the quarter final for the All Blacks against France in two thousand seven, and they lost that game, and then they, but that particular team sort of sat down and had a good hard look at themselves, and went on to become one of the best rugby teams in in, in history it, this that example with jordan made us think of that as well because i wondered if maybe the high school basketball coach wasn't in fact wrong maybe he wasn't good enough to make the team yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't that he you know he wasn't actually proving anybody wrong cuz maybe he wasn't wasn't good enough but that experience actually mm. drove him it made him get better because he yeah. wasn't good enough and it made him and it taught him something about how to get better that he used in the rest of his career yeah, like a, a one step back for ten steps forward kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just
3: it just triggered that thought we talked about in legacy about the the all backs in the quarter final. I thought, well, the score doesn't lie; they got beat, but they but they used that to say, look, never again. That this doesn't happen again to us. Yeah, sure. And it, and, it, and for that group of players, I don't think it did. I think when a few of them retired and stuff, they got beat again. But they, yeah. I think they were un, un, undefeated for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's um. You know what you were saying about before, Will, on um where does the motivation actually run out? Yeah. But I thought that was a, an interesting point. It's I it, the book for me is suggesting that you have to at some point like reassess what drives you. Yeah. And then going back to legacy, there's a there's a chapter in that is like when you're at the top of the game, you need to change your game. Yeah it's it's a similar concept, like you need to, you know, if you feel yourself kind of running out of steam, so to speak. And on page 30, he gives us, there, there might be four reasons that will trigger you to reassess what drives you. It'll either be bored and declining results, a plateau or a feeling that like your talent is declining. So yeah. if you feel any of those things, you could do with sitting down and doing something like the personality audit again and, and going from there. Yeah. Because yes, having your fuck you moments, great. Or losing the quarterly, you know, the quarterfinal to France and going on to win the next two world two world cups is, is brilliant but you know the all blacks haven't been that good the, for the past kind of 3 4 years or so
3: so they're having a moment of, of reassess they need to well the, the talent was declining i guess for some of the, for that group of players and the, some of them who have retired and the, the thing i would say about haters and i don't know about you if you know whether you use of experience i know you have Cassie um but whenever whenever that has happened to me it's usually relatively short, relatively intense, and pretty exhausting. You know, to prove those people wrong, it's fucking it's exhausting for that period of time that you're you're really at it just to prove those people wrong. It it's just I couldn't keep that up forever. Like as you said before, guy, kind of I can it's it's like a tool that you use, I think, or you get it out i say before you, Cassie, I kind of I think it's worth getting it out of the bag occasionally when you're when you when you're just trying yeah. to find some motivation to do something it's worth getting out of the bag but it's not something i want to be there all the time because it's just too it just takes too much energy
2: yeah i think it depends on the situation i think when it's when it's an intense amount of criticism and you you don't know how you're going to solve the problem i think it's difficult but with me like i've enjoyed every single second of it <laughs> 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 like I don't I don't I haven't minded having that thought in my head. Um because it's I never I never particularly doubted myself. I knew I knew what I could do and I knew what I needed to do and just kept going. Um but I understand what you mean. I think when when you are being criticized for certain things, it is difficult.
3: I think it, it depends how you're wired. We said it you've said it before, I think it's the same and you, you sort of have to find out it's about knowing yourself, as he says. Find out what works for you. And if you if you if that dri- if that's good if that's good energy that drives you every day rather than something that saps your energy then then keep it keep it going, keep it running. But f- mm-hmm. as I said, for me it's probably something that tends to sap my energy more than anything. So yeah, I can only yeah. use it at certain I can only kind of tap into it occasionally and then I have to I have to find something else because it just it just as I say it saps me energy. Yeah. Um,
2: I think it's not that negative negative feedback consume me either i think you need to like allow yourself x amount of time to think about it and then purposely try not to because like you say i think that it, that's the point when it starts to sort of bring you down
3: what what did you think about so it's still in um, chapter one what who do you want to be uh, page 15 and 16 he's, he makes a couple of points here he sort of says embody embody who you want to be by living your future truth um, and that was on page 15 page 16 live in the present as if your future truth has already become a reality mm-hmm. and then I guess tapping into that here, on page 17 use your heroes and visuals to remind yourself who you want to be you know that kind of projecting who who do you want to be where do you want to be mm-hmm. um i just didn't know i just wondered what you thought about that whether that's something you've, you've found yourself doing already or whether it's something you've thought actually i'm going to try that
2: I, I like the concept of um, sort of embodying who you want to be by living your future truth. Like, I, I quite like that. And I think it it gives you a little bit of a, of a boost. Like, I think it just keeps you going. But I think it can be dangerous because if you get too far ahead of yourself, that's when the, there's an opportunity for you to get knocked down a peg or two. Because mm. I think... I read actually in the emotional intelligence group. Let us just find the page. So there's there's um there's a statistic here. Right. Okay. So in a study of more than eighty thousand professionals, seventy percent believed they were in the top ten of their peer group. <laughs> so I think you can live your future self, but don't be that seventy percent that think you're in the top ten. And- maybe you are not <laughs> you know what I mean like I think I think there's a fine line between between being who you want to be and then kind of not living up to it a little bit maybe
0: yeah there's a delusion in there somewhere isn't there
2: I think so a little bit it makes I me think wasn't...
0: it makes me think of the Dunning-Kruger effect uh, That you know there is a point where you know you, you'll realise how much you don't know about a certain oh. topic and until you've kind of Done enough reps to to realize that you'll you'll never
3: really become an expert. Mm-hmm. It it just made me think of uh, fake it till you make it though. Like as in also, yeah. <clears throat> obviously everybody is doing that to some degree, aren't they? That seventy percent are just faking it because they can't be they can't be in the top ten percent. Uh, they're slightly deluded, as you say. The Dun and Kruger effect as well, guy. That they obviously just sometimes they don't know what they don't know. Um, but everybody's just kind of having to pretend, you know. Like let's yeah. just.
2: But then you've got this whole. A, a, a pandemic of imposter syndrome syndrome and everyone thinking that that the that they're not doing as much as what they could be it's, it's just it's so confusing now because I think there's so much information out there and there's so many different things that are, are there to help you but then it just confuses you even further because you're thinking right okay I'll fake it till I make it I'm doing great and then you're like oh like am I? <laughs> Like, Hi. it's just I think it's just it's it's a minefield. I had a, I had a
3: little, uh, I, you know, I only started a new job recently. I had a little little run, not, nothing nothing major, little run in with somebody uh, in the office about something. Yeah. And uh, and, they, and they were coming back and I said, nah, I'm not, not really loving that. Now I was asking them to do something. It wasn't getting done. Um, and I, obviously I've been reading this book and I was talking to my brother or somebody about having read this book and this idea of, you know, sort of embodying, live, live in the present as your future truth has already become a reality. And I was laughing. I said, ah, oh, she doesn't realise she's messaging the CEO, does she? You know, like, like, like what 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 they haven't realized is they're talking to the gaffer. Um even obviously I'm not. And I was like, so like, so you're right, there's obviously a point at which you're like, actually you've got to you've got to check yourself as well so you don't come off like a complete horse. Yeah.
2: definitely
3: <laughs> uh, I was, I was uh, that's what that's what I was sort of saying. I think it's um I like I like that idea and I, I've been sort of employing it for a while. Um mm-hmm. but I think it's I think is is what we've touched on there. It's actually about we've got to do extra as in so you can't just abdicate some of the say there's some media some um, responsibilities that you don't wanna to have to deal with at your current level. You can't just bin those off because you think you're thinking like you're the you're five steps ahead. Yeah. You've still got to do those things. It just I think it means we've got to do extra. We've got to do the additional things that maybe the maybe the partner of the business does or the managing director of a business does. What what are what are some of those things that they do now in terms of maybe it might be building better relationships with with people in other departments, or different 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 departments, different businesses, doing those things. But in addition to your well, current job, I can't just say, "Oh, well, I'm too busy doing doing the the managing partner's job. I'm um, I'm I'm not going to be able to do my own job. Sorry, because that's not going to wash for anybody. They're just going to laugh laugh at you, and uh, then you lose your job.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely.
0: It's. It's identity sculpting, really. Um, just just on that concept, like my favourite book on all that is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm-hmm. If you if you've ever read that, and he he talks about again. It's it's becoming who you want to be. So if you're wanting to lose weight, for example, and that's your goal is to lose weight, you have to be a healthy person, not necessarily mm-hmm. just just do healthy things. Um, you have to, you know, be the kind of guy that will go out for a run be the kind of guy that won't eat loads of chocolate, um, you know, and, and be that person. And while you're doing the being, you're living your future truth,
1: mm-hmm. which, is
0: what the, which is what Patrick means
3: in this as well. I it's
2: about, it's really powerful, though, yeah. as a concept. Mm-hmm. It's, I uh, do how much I agree with using your heroes to remind yourself of who you want to be. I don't know about that, because I don't know if you know enough about them. Or do you just take it
3: at face value? I think you're right there. I think that's quite, that's something I hadn't thought about. And he touches on it as well, actually, doesn't he? He says in later chapters about, I think the third chapter about entrepreneurs and people not knowing, not seeing what the, you know the, the, I think he talked about Elon Musk and there's a tweet about with Elon Musk in where he says, um, where Elon Musk basically says that you you don't see the graph, you don't see the hard mm. work that I put in you and you see. And you, you say, I think you're right. Maybe Cassie, it could actually be a, quite a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to some degree.
2: Mm-hmm. So he has that um, that weird painting. Mm.
3: Oh <laughs> really? yeah, well, it's a, it a bit strange.
2: Where did that come from? Did he?
3: He had it commissioned, didn't he? He had, he had a painting. I'm sure he did. I'm gonna. I just want to read out who's on it for anybody that obviously is listening and can't uh, doesn't have the book and can't see it. Um, he he had it. He has a a painting prepared for himself so that or made for himself so that he it would inspire him every time he walked in his office. Page hey, A uh, Lean it's uh, So from right left he's got Albert Einstein, John F. Kennedy, a bust of Marcus Aurelius, Abraham Lincoln, Tupac Shakur, Patrick Beck David, the author, um he says in brackets, the student trying to soak up wisdom. Mohammed Ritza Pavlovy, Ayrton Senna, Milton Friedman, Martin Luther King and a bust of Aristotle and there's a spare space there for someone who may yet be revealed, I guess, that, you know, I don't know who, I don't know what that's meant to symbolise. It's a really cool photo, of our picture, but it is a bit, a bit mental. Yeah, and put
2: yourself in it as well.
3: You, you've got to be a little bit touchy <laughs> oh. to do that.
2: Yeah, definitely, because that wouldn't have been cheap either. That would oh. have been a decent investment there. And it's an, it is
3: an odd, like, odd piece of art. It, but I, I do like the, I like the concept uh, that he uses it for. He sort of says he, he sort of imagines himself whenever he's making this important decisions he, he will imagine consulting that group of people um, maybe trying to take on board their, their their opinions which is slightly mental to think that he you know again got to be slightly mental to think that he can tap into uh, what Einstein would say to him or what uh, Tupac Shakur would say to him or you know just he's, he's obviously but then again I think we've said this before Guy I think some of these people the the reason they are who they are is because they're not normal they're a little bit
1: mm.
3: they're a little bit more they're a little bit yeah there's a little bit more to them than the ordinary
2: yeah definitely who would be on yours?
3: that's a great question and I don't uh,
2: know you know I can't think of
3: I really don't know
2: it's that, not
3: not? it depends it's I think fair. it would depend on what I was trying to what I was trying to achieve in the given scenario question, I, I, you know, I'm more a lot like these books, you know, we sort of read these books because I'm interested in, you know, whatever the next five steps I want to know from somebody who I think's been there or done it. So if it was a, if it was a new business venture, it might be worth asking. It may be worth tapping into it. If I could pick up the phone to Elon Musk, that might be helpful, but equally, <laughs> What Elon Musk knows about starting businesses in Newcastle, you could write in the back of a post stamp, so yeah. I might I might be better off actually talking to somebody who's done it. It, it really does depend on what I'm trying to
1: yeah.
2: achieve and, what, and how
3: big my goals are I think, as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think it's so hard to think about who these people would be. I think The final bit on page 21, he says, the only way to answer this question is by becoming clear about the life you want to live and I, I just thought that it was important to I was glad he mentioned that. Um, I think he mentioned it twice at the beginning and the end of that chapter. But I think that answering that question, who do you want to be, it, it that is a key part of it, knowing the life you want to live. Because there's varying degrees of, as I mentioned before, you know, it might be you might want to be somebody who lives and works abroad, but is that really the life that you want to live? Um, you might think you want to be a CEO of a of a, a Fortune 500 company, but is that really the life? You want to live? I mean, I would say yes because I don't know enough about it. It just sounds like it's pretty good. Sounds like it's pretty glamorous, but uh, but I think really knowing that and having an honest and clear answer to that question is is important.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
3: So I think we we moved on to
2: know where where you want to be and who you want to be because you don't know until you're there.
3: I think a lot of this we've got to learn. You know, we've got to go through the is. Like guy said before you got to go through the reps haven't you
2: mm-hmm.
3: you just gotta yeah you know, go at it and, and figure it out and learn because i think it, it's no good sitting down and saying all right this is the plan for the next five years and then not changing it at all i think you'll learn things along the way and you just have to reassess mm-hmm. which i think is what he encourages yeah so, chapter two he says study the most important product you i don't know I, I don't know about you but i didn't get loads out of this chapter but that might just be me
0: on page 31 he talks about graduating to your next why I quite like the four levels so he talks about level 1 being survival level Mm 2 being status level 3 being freedom level 4 being purpose Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah Um, do you guys think much about your why is it something that crops up a lot for you too
2: I would say yeah I think that's probably the main thing um, I think it's similar to what we were talking about before. So you've got the people who survival, 905, get paid, pay bills. Um, and then I think I think there's a big jump, though, isn't there? To status, mm-hmm. freedom and purpose.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, he, he talks on, he says on survival, some people stop there, you know, and that's fine. Some people yeah. just have aren't wired to think, how can I? how can my life be better? They just kind of exist, don't they? That's mm-hmm. kind of the way of the world. Um, I think I'm somewhere in between status and freedom, but I'm, I'm not, not sure, to be honest. I think I've I've done enough keeping up with the Joneses. I think I've done all right for myself where mm-hmm. I am. Um, but kind of going beyond that and thinking about freedom, like, you know, at the minute, I'm not in really in the position where I could If I woke up one day and decided I didn't want to do any work (laughs) that wouldn't really wash at the minute um so I haven't got that level of freedom yet but
1: you know
2: I don't have have to I think everyone think the average okay so let's get this right on average people in the UK are three months off being bankrupt so if you lose your job if your household loses the jobs based on the average amount of savings mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, you're three months away from losing everything. Is that right? Which is terrifying.
3: Sounds mm-hmm. um, about right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think I've got three months to be fair. <laughs>
3: um, I'll be two weeks. I think i would <laughs> probably beg, beg, steal and borrow me wait three months, but uh, I am—I wouldn't be four bang.
2: Yeah, exactly. So freedom, I think, it's just that would be amazing because then you wouldn't have to worry.
3: But I, I almost don't think in in my in my imagination because I, I think I'm definitely still at the status. Because to answer that question that you posed before, Guy, I I don't think I do anything for the why. It's I always the that. it's always the what. It's like I know mm. where I know where I want to be and what I want to be, but and who I think I want to be. I've got no idea why though. I, I, I literally, I, I can't. If I spend too long thinking about it, I still don't get anywhere. I still haven't figured out. You know why do I want to achieve these certain things? Why do I think status is important? Why do I think money is important? Why you know I, I don't really fully, but but then I, but I think I can I can see myself getting to purpose quite quickly within those what I imagine being a I don't know see imagine being managing partner of a of a big law firm right well that's that that's great and I might have some purpose in but I can see myself having purpose then but still my freedom because I still probably couldn't pack up and not yeah. have to work I'd still have So I kind of feel as though. Freedom's kind of a not. I don't know if purpose needs to, although they're on a par, you know, and they don't happen for everybody. Like, you can have purpose and freedom, but you don't always. You might actually get, you might actually find you've got, you've done level one, two, and four, but not three. Yeah, I agree
2: with that. And I think going back to the why, though, I think you can think about it too much because Mm. I think the why would literally, they sound dramatic, but I think it would go back into your childhood. <laughs> it's, oh, it's no doubt. It's, I think it's psychologically deep rooted into you so much that you'll never really know why. So I think instead of thinking about the why, you need to just follow your gut and follow your, your want rather than the why. Mm. Unless you want to do, unless you want to go to an expensive therapist for you and figure out um, what your childhood issues were. Um, but I think... I think you could spend a lot of time and you could beat yourself up a lot and you could spiral into the why a little bit too much. Yeah. I think you just kind of have to follow what, what you think's best for yourself.
3: But we see, we see often, quite often, will have said like done, done's better than perfect. And I think that's uh-huh. true in that sense. We could spend hours, days, weeks, years even trying to figure out the why, uh, planning and planning and planning based on trying to figure out the why and then never really fully nailing it down and figuring you haven't gone anywhere in two or three years because yeah. you were too busy worrying about the why. And in mm-hmm. fact, actually, if you'd just chosen something and went for it, you'd probably be halfway there by now. Yeah,
2: definitely.
3: I mean, you might be. the The point is, I guess you might be halfway to somewhere you don't want to be, but mm-hmm. at least, at least you're halfway to somewhere, and you can pivot from there. Yeah. Rather than kind of, you know, if the other thing is just to be sort of paralyzed by the analysis.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
3: I think he, he does say in this chapter, um, and we, again, we've mentioned this, I think, before, Guy, when, we, when we're on Legacy. Um, chap, so chapter two, study the most important product, you. Page 27, he says, your effort must align with the size of your vision. Yeah, um, and I think that is important to remember because there's, there was a quote in Legacy where uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, famous uh, all-black rugby player, had said something about, like, it uh, took words to the effect that Everybody says that your family should come first, but actually if you're trying to be the best in the world at what you do, that's not true. Your family will just inevitably have to come second. And that's not a very – he acknowledges it's not a very popular thing to say or a very nice-sounding thing to say, Um, but it is true. If you're trying to be the best in the world, your family probably does come second. What we touched on, and I think this makes the point again there, is that actually – um, we're probably not trying to change the world, or we're probably not trying to be the best in the world. So your effort and how much you put in, and how much you should expect from yourself, has to depend on on what you what you're trying to achieve.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, if you if you're trying to have a if you're trying to make a six figure salary, uh, or you're trying to run a company that's going to change the world, or you're trying to change, or you're trying to be the best at something in the world, then you probably do need to do 100 hours a week. If you're not, then you don't and I think when you know that that was a point where I thought it actually a lot of this book sort of geared towards you doing more and being more and quite being quite ambitious and always asking more of yourself but I think that one was that was a point where I thought actually maybe this is a point where you can actually keep that in check to some degree Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you know in the the envy point as well do you really want to have to work that hard do you Mm -hmm. really want to do those hours I think I think he took in those chapters quite an important little bit where he sort of ask you, be honest with yourself and say, like, do you really want all that stuff? Because
0: it's hard graft. It's really going to be fucking hard work if you actually want it. Like, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, if people do want to, you know, to live on an island and, you know, go to Mars and whatever else, you've got to realise that you're going to be sleeping at the office and you're going to be doing doing the shit that's required to get there. Like, ultimately, because a lot, a lot of it is going to be crap. Like... Hundred percent is. I, I think personal view, but like most people will be better off realizing they're not the next fucking Jeff Bezos or they're not <laughs> the next Richard Branson, despite what they might see across Instagram. And just thinking, look, if you you know if you come from a nice family, you've got a decent job, you drive a nice car, and you have got a pet, and you go on a couple of holidays, a year, you're absolutely you're doing fine. Yeah, you're, you're nailing you? it, aren't you? <laughs> like, don't worry, you don't have to strive for more. Like one, because it's going to be hard work getting there, and two, like it's not really who you want to be. You like the, the, there's a quote on happiness, isn't there? If you go through the rings on mindfulness, it's happiness isn't achieving more; it's becoming satisfied with less, or you know, t- you know, creating happiness about with. Bec- and, oh fuck! I'm butchering this, but gratitude makes what you've already got enough, or something like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah th- I think that's such an important concept. But- well. That, that's the point I was saying before, guys. is, it you know, I was, I was in jest, but the point about envying people who are happy with the, the, the 95 is that point yeah. of, they've actually come, they've, they've come to realize they're happy with or they're grateful for what they already have. And uh, and that is, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and, and I think that's what we need to kind of, you know, sometimes it's just, it's easy to forget. But then equally I still think it's for me, it's if I if I did stop and do if I stopped and thought I'm doing okay and I accepted that, there's a slight like, fear for me that actually I wouldn't I wouldn't make any more progress. That would you know, that's it's kind of that it's just what I used to drive me. And so I think well yeah. I, it's, sort of, it, it's just what you use to to I think to some degree, it's just about what you're using to get to get you to to, to make progress. But sometimes you're right though, actually maybe we maybe we're doing it for the wrong reasons. So trying to keep coming back to why and who you want to be. Um I think it comes back to me. I don't know about you both, but it's something to do with money. There's a, there is a certain figure for everybody, I guess that would, you know, if, if if I roll the clock five years from now, um, and I've got a family and I've got a few other things and I, and I know I want to go on a certain number of holidays and I know I want to drive a certain type of car. There is a certain amount of money that I need to make all that possible. And that is, that's probably it really. It's not, you know, I think if I, We'll see when I get to that stage, if I ever get to that stage. But I think that is the... That'll be the, the test one. It'll be sort of... When you get to that level, will will you want more than that? Will you want to crack on? Will you want to kick on and, and do more? Will you be quite happy with where, where you're at? I
2: think you'll always want more. I think... I, th- I well, think ways
3: of spending the money, so I've, I'm sure I'll need more.
2: <laughs> well, you live to your means at the end of the day, no matter how much is coming in. I'm sure it goes out just as quick. Um, So I just... I think successful people have find are never fully content mm-hmm. for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It's always something else. And it goes back to having the pain points that drive you forward. You're always going to want more. Um, and if you don't, then you're just in survival, aren't you? Really.
3: That's an interesting one, Cassie. I, I, I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm interested to hear more about that. So, and I think I agree with you. Um, but you, I think you'll probably, given the, the job that you do day to day, um, and I think you'll know more about the people that you work with than I do, certainly. Um, so so you, I think that's something we've touched on there that the successful people you've come across tend to not be satisfied or tend to be less satisfied than most.
2: I wouldn't say less satisfied, as in, as in they want,
3: they want, they always want more, they're always trying to achieve more.
2: Yeah, I would I would say so, but I think that's I think that's the main personality trait that makes people successful because like you say, if you got to that point where you thought in your early twenties, right, I want to earn X amount by the time I'm thirty, if you got there and you were happy, you'd just sit on it and then you end up in that survival bracket, regardless of how much you're on, you still you've got a house you've got your bills and you've got enough to pay for that and go on a nice holidays and do what, what you want to do with it. Um, but I, like I say, I just think that if successful people, especially people that own and run businesses, they're never going to be settled. I think there's always the next thing, but I think that comes a lot with the environment though, in that we're in because things change so quickly and so rapidly, especially when it comes to, Businesses and marketing. There's always new things that you need to do to keep up. Um, so I think it's necessary to have that mindset. Even business. just
3: to stand still, you've actually got to keep. You've got to be on the move.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. I would say, from what I've seen, anyway.
3: And that I guess that to, to some uh, sort of loose loose link there into um, into chapter three, your path to creating wealth, entrepreneur, or entrepreneur. the the link for me there would be um the point about companies be companies breeding entrepreneurs or or that basically companies have to have to encourage entrepreneurs because that's that's the route to success that's the path to success Uh, in growth sorry you know they can't they've got to try and encourage those those people
2: Mm -hmm. i've never heard of entrepreneurs a concept to be honest um I just thought it was employees that had an entrepreneurial mindset that kind of fit in and did what they had to do. But I, I just thought that was really interesting. And kind, that kind of resonated with me quite a lot, to be honest.
3: I, I think I, I've kind of come across it before, but a bit like you, Cassie, I, I still even now think it's similar. It's, you know, it's, it's people who work for companies who have an entrepreneurial bent. Yeah. Um, I think he gives some quite good uh, – let's have a look. He gives some quite good – page 42, I think it is five – Qualities of a successful uh, entrepreneur, and I thought that was quite quite interesting. I just wonder what you thought about them. Um, an entrepreneur thinks like an entrepreneur. An mm-hmm. entrepreneur works like an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur possesses the urgency of an entrepreneur. Four, an entrepreneur innovates like an entrepreneur, and five, an entrepreneur protects the brand and in brackets and the money like an entrepreneur.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I just wondered if you if you could do you kind of. Does that resonate with you, or do you come across those things within your business? Either you, you were guy. Okay.
2: Um, I, th- I think that it definitely stood out to me because I could identify with those. Um, because basically because of because of portfolio, because that's what I have to do. I, I'm doing that. Um, and and creating that is a little. Is a little entity of itself and I think a like lot a
3: business of people, within a business isn't it really
2: exactly yeah but I think a lot of people especially in our company have that mindset and I think that's what works for, for us um we've got a lot of really sort of driven and dynamic people that want to push on and they want to, to make their mark and I think that has a lot to do with being an entrepreneur as well like you want to make your mark you want to make a difference and um and I don't think you necessarily have to fit all five of those. Mm. Um I think what protecting the brand and the money. For me, I obviously protect the brand because I'm head of marketing, that's what I do for a job, but I don't necessarily think that has to be um has to be anyone's priority when the, when they need to be an entrepreneur. So but I think other than that, I just I found it really interesting. I think that's what what drives businesses forward, having people that think like that. Within the business,
3: how well do you think? Uh, how well do you think that the businesses do embrace these types of people? Though that was that was something I was thinking when I was reading. It. I was like, I wonder. It just it might be sector specific. Different sectors, I guess, might
2: mm-hmm. embrace
3: these people more than.
2: I think it depends on the leadership in the business as well, doesn't it? Um, depends on who who's running the company. But for us, I certainly see that within our company a lot.
0: What were you, Guy? Google do it really well, don't they? It's something we're trying to emulate is the 20% time from Google. So literally you can have 20% of your time. In reality, if you're an office worker, it's going to be one of your days a week or a couple of hours a day or however you want to work it. Um, But they encourage their employees to take on tasks that will benefit the company outside of their regular projects. Mm -hmm. And things like from Google, they've had a Gmail came out of that um i can't remember what the other ones adsense so google ads essentially google news came out of it just like by giving employees freedom to explore different avenues either follow their own interests um or you know take on projects that they will find fulfilling in their own work because they get to explore it and things like that um obviously great is it reserved for huge companies like google I don't know it's hard to say it, I can't see it working so much in a, in a little a company like mine. Uh, how,
3: how, are they, how are they going to measure how will they measure it guy or will they measure it? What's the thing you've got to, you've got to start like being quite blunt and scrutinizing
0: what people are doing with the time and you know if they're not performing with the tasks of their jobs within the four days of the five you yeah. know there's gonna be problems. The first thing that's going to get canned is like right you're not having your 20 percent time anymore if you're not performing are you so like it, i don't know i think it's i think it's good i think there's got to be clarity among amongst the company like why is everyone sat in the room what is your individual goal within the business's goal and if you are contributing to that
3: you know um you know going beyond that if you want to contribute then great but, i I'll get- I'll give you an example. I think that we're already, I think to some degree, well, we are all, a lot of businesses are already doing this, even at a low level. So take networking and business development, for example. Yeah. A uh, uh, 20% is probably a bit extreme, but I bet you it's not, I bet it's, I bet you there's, it's 10% or something like that. You know, there's probably an expectation that, that we all spend, I'd say about 10% of our time, maybe more, depending on, depend on what you're doing, you know, what you constitute business development. It might be talking with existing clients for a bit longer on the telephone when, you, when, when you're on a particular matter than you would have done. So, you know, we might be pushing towards 20% of our time is spent engaging in some form of business development or networking that the businesses we work for understand and appreciate are, are important to the success of the business. So we're already doing that to a degree. I think one of the problems I've got is that I, do, I don't see that it's always, um, it's very rarely rewarded. In the same way so for example there's there's lots of more, as people expect in the business i work with at presently and previous ones there's an expectation that you'll do your networking you'll do your business development um, and, and 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 you'll i think there'll be questions asked if you weren't doing it especially if you weren't doing it consistently however when it comes to hitting your targets and doing certain things they, they, they don't get taken into account nobody will say oh well it's okay you didn't hit your target this month well because you did x amount of business development or x amount of networking mm-hmm. that won't happen and then, equally, when the work drops in based from the network and all the business development, there is no additional credit given for you having generated that piece of work. So, then I think if eventually you sort of think, well, I guess eventually you'll, you'll get in a position where you think uh, I, th- th- it becomes less important to you as an individual because you know that it's not linked to your progress within the business. So, you just stop doing it. So, you'll just stop, or not stop doing it, but you'll just do less of it, or you'll, you know, I just, uh, I think it's a great idea, but I think it's gotta be it's they've gotta figure out how we're properly integrated into what the business currently does and how you how we measure people's performance and it's gotta be properly integrated. So if you're giving people a day off a week to come up with new ideas for Google, maybe they need it needs to be properly integrated into their performance.
0: There needs to management. be some sort of feedback loop back into the business, doesn't there? So like, you know, you know, for us it'll work quite well because if our guys are doing it, what we ask for is, a, uh, you know, on, on, we'll have a Monday morning meeting and then on that Monday morning meeting, like we'll take it in turns. Like, can you just come up with a few slides and a summary of, of what you've been learning in your 20% time? So it'll benefit everyone.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, That's good, yeah. then it's got some sort of feedback loop and there's a mechanism whereby everyone benefits and the business benefits as a whole, but uh, you know, to do it totally individually, uh, I, I think I think it's really tough, Will, as you say, if it's if it's not like directly attributed to your reward as an employee, it's it's going to get left by the wayside.
2: The difficulty is, though, the best kind of business development, marketing, PR combined
0: mm-hmm.
2: is that it's so subtle that people don't actually realise that they're being developed in a way yeah like, i think it's such it's such a hard thing to measure it's like for me when i do a pr campaign um stuff will go in the paper it'll go on facebook for example this is a really rough it'll go in the paper it'll go on facebook it'll go on the website blah 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 and you, you're just chipping away at people so you don't actually know where that first communications actually come from yeah where the balance
3: is tip from like all right this person's interested this person now wants to become a customer
2: exactly, like yeah. when it actually happened mm-hmm. so i think it's re- it's really difficult with business development i think to measure it
3: but just even i just even think but on that basis there the must be a way because you'll have an idea now cassie with what you'll have a formula i guess in your mind you'll have a formula of what will work so it, what i mean is a combination of certain touch points you yeah. will see, right? If we touch them there, 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 and there, or possibly if we put them in this media, that media, and the other media, we're mm-hmm. bound to get a certain level of return. So in in and I, was, I what I would I think would be good to see is from say my point of view, if it is business development networking to sort of acknowledge that. So it might be yeah. all right. Well, we know if you go and if you choose 30 people this year to do business development with who are in the right areas to be able to generate work for our commercial property team, for example, mm-hmm. if you we want you to meet up with them um, three times over the year. So we want, you, we want to see 90 meetings from you across the year with these 30 people, because we know that will generate at least five pieces of work statistically. Mm-hmm. And that could then feed into my, do you know what I mean? Just to give it some sort of, so there's some incentive to do it. Because I think yeah. for people like me, I, I was said before, you, you're wired in a certain way. So it doesn't bother me. I'm looking, I'm imagining being the, the gaffer of the place essentially. And so that you can't get away without doing it. But there's yeah. some people who I work with who maybe aren't. And so you need to kind of, they're, they're looking more for today. So to get them to, to do what, what you want them to do, it needs to be formed part of their uh, the management process, you know, the, the measurement of the performance. Yeah. Um, I thought that was t- tra- page 45. It gives traits of companies that attract entrepreneurs. One, their executives are comfortable taking calculated risks and encouraging creativity. Two, their compensation plan incentivizes, incentivizes innovation and outstanding performers. Three, their executives play offense, improve instead of just playing defense, cover their asses. Four, their executives elevate potential stars rather than hold them back. Five, executives actively seek out ideas from all layers of the organization. And six, their executives actively look for young talent to keep the company vibrant and innovative. Mm-hmm just wondered wonder what I thought about that, whether that was, I think they're doing some of the things that we're talking about there. Um, comfortable taking risks. Uh, compensation plan incentivizes innovation and, out, and outstanding performance. I think that's one of the key ones for me that I don't know whether businesses do that well enough sometimes. We know what we want, but we don't always reward people for doing those things.
2: Um, I think that comes with career communication as well, because I think, we could go off and do our own thing and do some great things, but is it what actually what the employer wants? Maybe, nice. maybe not. I think that comes with setting clear goals as well, which is part, I think that's part of this, isn't it? Um, he definitely discusses, because he left a job, didn't he?
3: Yeah.
2: That in the first paragraph. He left a job because he didn't know what his goals were. He didn't know where he was going and what he was doing. So... Um, I think communication is definitely key but calculated risks I think so important encouraging creativity because
1: yeah.
2: you you give people enough space and enough independent thinking and then they prove whether they're a good fit or not you can't be micromanaged constantly and I think especially in small businesses you need people who are able to just kind of hit the ground running and I know that doesn't happen very often but hit the ground running and just Get on and, and do what they need to do and have a similar mindset. Um, if you're a square peg in a round hole, it's never gonna work. So I think, like I say, taking calculated risks pays off for, for both parties. Mm-hmm.
3: I think the uh, I that that was that, that was interesting. I thought about that in the, the that list of, of people and the, the bit about company compensation structure and rewards was was interesting for me. I thought that uh mm-hmm. Because that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that when you come back to what you're doing today, what, what are you going to prioritise this week? Uh, You know, that short, short-term stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
3: always a bit like, you know, I'm always, oh, what's, what, what's the goal over there it? If it's sales, it's like, all right, we want to try and get this thing, this deal over the line this month because we know that's how we're going to be compensated or that's how we're going to be measured. Yeah. Um, so I just, I'm always interested to see how businesses structure that because when we know things are important, but then we don't always, then when you look at the rewards and incentives, alongside the things that we know are important they don't always i'll always think they match up that well Mm -hmm. um so i think there's always an opportunity for when i look at businesses there always seems to be an opportunity to improve at that like linking up the rewards and incentives against the things that they know to be important to them long term
2: and it's it's providing rewards and incentives that um that are suitable for the for the individual as well i think in this emotional intelligence book that i've just read like Some people aren't driven by a a financial bonus or reward. And often people will be put off, um, especially if you have, whoever does the best sales this month gets this. Mm -hmm. Um, People will instantly back off because they'll think, oh, well, I've got no chance anyway. So mm -hmm. what's the point? So it's creating a system and a balance to to suit what drives people.
3: Bang on. I I think you're spot on there. I think uh, just this will probably just bring us uh, to to close out the, the three chapters and the first move um, is it's something that we're, that we've seen in zero to one guy. I don't know if you, if, you, if that was sort of triggering with you towards the end of the third chapter. Yeah. Um. Find, page forty nine. Find your blue ocean strategy. Um, you know what what he says is I want you to think more broadly about finding finding a game you can you can you can beat anyone at. Um. Page 50, 51 he references. I could. He discovered that there were certain things that he could. He could still work hard and lose at. Um, and I think that for me that resonated loads with having read Peter Thiel Zero One, where he basically is kind of anti-competition in a way. Um, I just wonder what you thought of that guy. Definitely, like he, he talks about finding blue ocean marketing,
0: i.e., going into areas that are relatively fresh and open to superior growth it's uh you know avoiding avoiding competition like you say almost creating a brand new market where you can get new attention and you can start to do things with it i thought the example of barack obama going on social media in 2007 was quite cool
3: um uh, good it was i I liked how he linked it back to his you know he was obviously looking at that external event and then seeing how it applied to him and i I found that really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i mean um I was
0: reading a case study about my protein, the business, um, not too long ago, and they were one of the very early investors on Google Ads, for example. Like yeah. when Google Ads was just becoming a thing, they used that to grow their business, and they got to grow with the growth of Google as a massive, massive conglomerate kind of search engine. So it's just riding those trends is what you know blue ocean marketing zero to one's all about. If there's a a place where you can avoid competition and, and pick off some macro, huge-scale changes, that's always going to benefit,
3: especially if you can be an early mover. Uh, I think he says, uh, you know, with, with this avoiding competition, which the, the phrase sort of Peter Thiel coined and, and uh, Patrick Bet-David kind of alludes to here, it catches everybody's attention because everybody thinks that, it, 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 because it's counterintuitive almost, everybody is taught to think that competition is great. But actually, mm. he's sort of saying, oh, maybe it's not. But I think, actually, in its core, he's, they're just saying something that, that we all already understand. What you've got to do is differentiate yourself from your competitor. Yeah. That is what you've got to do. And that might mean, like, literally going into a whole new segment of, or a whole new vertical of what you're doing. It might be, mm. you know, it might be very, very subtle change. Mm-hmm. But, but, it's, but it's in its own blue water. There's no competition there because it, he... I thought his example was really good. He talked about... um 2007 he's watching Barack Obama um he's 29 years old he's uh, he wants to start up his, his own insurance company and he looks at who's in the financial industry and he's like oh look well sorry he wanted to start his own company I think first and foremost he looked he's in the financial sector he's looking at maybe starting his own financial company he looks at who the people are they're all white middle-aged men and he's not he's an Iranian guy younger um and I think, and then he also looks at uh, how AI was and computers were changing, how insurance was being sold, car insurance, and he identified that actually he's got an advantage in the area because of who he is and because of the makeup of, of, of the society that he lived in, the demographic of, of, the, of Americans at the time, he had an advantage in selling directly to people face-to-face. Um, and so he pinned on, he sort of figured out that actually um, in, life insurance was, was the way to go for him and for his business. And I, th- I found that to be a really interesting idea of how he, it was a great example across those two pages of his sort of process of getting from big picture, sort of Barack Obama's doing this, mm. to actually how, the, and then he sort of found his way into like, okay, if I sell, if I sell insurance, life insurance directly to people, mm-hmm. I, think I'm, I think I'm going to be at an advantage, a distinct advantage. Mm-hmm. That's it, the bit I've underlined you can
0: decrease the risk by choosing a game in which the odds are in your favour it's great to have bravado and believe you can beat whatever competitors are in your industry but it's foolish to believe you can win at somebody
3: else's game Bang on I don't, I don't think you need to, I think it's about knowing who you are and, and what you want to do and he, the, the, I think it's, it might be the last page in that chapter, guy he says on page 52, rather than go broad I went narrow uh, which we've talked about before. We, I think you've asked the question before. Are you, one of the key things is, are you serving a small enough market? or is you, Basically, is your target audience focused enough? Mm-hmm. And he, he makes that point as well, I think, quite well. It's, so it doesn't, it's not just about like creating some massive new... Um, you know, we don't all have to be the next Amazon, but you can sort of shift gear a little bit and move into a slightly different vertical or a different space for your particular product or service um, and, and focus on a really small group of people that are that are your clients, your true. I think there's that the thousand true fans thing by uh, I forget his name mm-hmm. now. A, a word from ten years ago is another great example of that. You know, he says you only needed a thousand true fans for people to uh, and, and to sell them for a hundred hundred dollars a pop um, to make a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Can I it, tell it, you, it's true. I can't that. that. That's I think that's that's a point that he makes quite well
1: here as well. Good book so far, do you reckon? Yeah, I think I'm going to keep going with it. I've enjoyed it, eh? You have just listened to the Booksmiths Podcast. Never miss an episode and keep getting better by subscribing to the show. You can also follow us at Pod across all social media. Guy and Will want you to get involved. If you're interested in becoming a guest, have a suggestion for our next book or have a question for the boys, get in touch by emailing thebooksmithpodcast at gmail.com Until next time!